Let's stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Job 34. Then Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us go among ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him, and according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth, and who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man, and sh who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands? In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away by no human hand. For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see because they turned aside from following him and had no regard for any of his ways so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him and he heard the cry of the afflicted. When, he's, when he is quiet, who can condemn? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation or a man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. For has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend anymore. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Will he then make repayment to suit you because you rejected? You must choose and not I. Therefore declare what you know. Men, uh, men of understanding will say to me, and the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hand among the amongst us and multiplies his words against God. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say, It is my right before God? That you ask, What advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see. Behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? 
And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of a man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, and nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. And now, because his anger does not punish and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. And Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you. I have yet something to say on, excuse me, I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe, my right, ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they are behaving arrogantly. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their afflictions and opens their ear by adversity. He also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping and and what was set on your table was full of fatness. But you are full of the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing, and let, you, and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will you cry for help? Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? Do not long for the night when people vanish in their place. Take care, do not turn to iniquity, for this you have chosen rather than affliction. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist in rain which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. It crashes 
its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. The beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind, can you, like him, spread out the skies, hard as cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And now, no one looks on the light when it, when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and declared them and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. These scriptures we will speak on this morning, examining, carefully looking at them and seeing what God's message is and his purpose. If you would remain standing with me, let's have a moment of prayer. After prayer, we're going to have the, the preaching of God's word today. And then after the message, we'll have a special music um, from our choir. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you give us understanding. It's a difficult passage to, to understand as we try to follow Elihu's argument. But give us guidance and understanding that it might be a blessing to us, that we might uh, have a clear understanding of your word and and how we ought to respond in our trials and our afflictions and our sufferings in a way that brings glory to you, how we need to look at ourselves, examine ourselves, and uh, repent and turn when we fall short of, of what we should be. Help us to see you, Lord. Help us to turn our eyes upon you, and not just the problems that are before us, but you are worthy of our worship and our praise. We come here today, Lord, because you are worthy of worship and, and praise. And we, uh, we know that that is important, that is significant. 
and uh, we come to worship. So bless us as we worship you. I thank you for each person here today. There's some here who have not been able to come before. We just thank you for them gathering together. We pray, Lord, that you will restore the gathering of your people in this church and all over this land, that people will come back and worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, Lord, I pray for your healing uh, physically, that you would bless. We have many in our midst, Lord, who are suffering in different ways. We, we think of, of, of many, Kathy, and that you would continue to watch over and bless and heal, strengthen, and encourage her heart, Lord. Lola Spears, we pray for that you would watch over and be with her. My wife, Donna, Lord, that you would continue to watch and care for her and be with her and heal her. We have many others, Lord, who are in various needs of, of, of healing and help. I pray for my dad, Lord, and his continued health and recovery, that you would watch over, bless, and be with him. So, Lord, we lift these up. We want to be regular about praying for them. We know you love them, and they are in your hand. They love you. They know you. They trust you and serve you. We pray, Lord, that their testimony would be one that goes out to others, uh, saved and unsaved, and speak of your glory, of your greatness, of your power, and of your love, your grace to them. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> We continue our series, our sermon series in Job. Today we'll be covering those chapters 34, 35, 36, and 37. This is a continuation of last week when we saw this uh, surprise friend pop up. Job has been in conversation with three friends, and after three rounds with those friends of them speaking, um, this one friend, Elihu, uh, comes and he speaks to Job. It's interesting because we, we struggle to understand what Elihu has to say. We have guidance on the other three friends that they did not speak, thus saith the Lord. They misapplied Scripture. Some of the things they said were true, but just not applied to Job properly. And so Elihu comes. He is frustrated with their uh, attempt to challenge Job. He thinks Job needs to be challenged, but they have not done a good job of it, and he takes that up. He's a younger man, and uh, today we'll see what is often common with young men. Uh, what we see with him is a surprising amount of wisdom that the other men did not have. He declares that wisdom does not necessarily come with age. Wisdom comes from God, and so that's good news that any of us can, can get from God, wisdom. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it to you. And so uh, we can have that wisdom. Now, there is some wisdom that should come with life experiences, but if you're not wise, you're not going to get it. <laughs> so no matter how old you are, uh, you're not going to have that wisdom. But this man has surprising wisdom. But remember, he is still a human. And everything he says is not completely online, even though he's more online than the other three friends were. So we're going to take that up today at chapter 34 and take a look at what he said. One of the things that he's done before, and he does again in this section, is he, he identifies from Job's own statements what Job has said, and then he addresses the error 
in what Job is saying. Let's take a look at that. His assessment of Job's argument is in chapter 34, verse 9. So if you look there with me, he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. That's what Job is, is basically claiming. Job is saying, look, I have served God faithfully. I have not been a wicked person. I, I have, all my life, I have worshipped God. And, you know, those who see him will basically say that, that that seems to be true. Now, his friends say, Job, that seems to be true, but you've got some secret sins, some major uh, skeletons in your closet that that uh, we're going to address because that's obvious. It's obvious that God wouldn't punish you unless there was something there. That's their approach. Um, so Job is saying that even though I've been good, I've been punished by it like this. And he's saying, what is the good of living righteous? He says, I've been punished like I'm a wicked sinner. I may as well. I would have been the same if I had just sinned. That's an amazing statement. Um, and he's, he's paraphrasing Job's, Job's statements, but um, he is correct in Job's tenor or his, his, his thought process. In chapter 35, verse 3, he takes up his argument again. What advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? This is him paraphrasing what Job has said, and then he goes and he addresses that. Um, let's just get to his conclusion. You can see um, what, what he thinks of where Job is. In chapter 34, the last part of that, verse 35 and 37, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. Verse 40, 37, he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hand among us and multiplies his words against God. He believes that Job is rebellious and sinful in his response. Um, that might seem a little harsh. It might seem unfounded. Um, and uh, I think it, it may go a little far, but he's onto something as to... Um, there's something that needs to be addressed in Job. And he's going to get to that as we go through. But that's, that's his statement. It's kind of the summary of where a Job, uh, um, where Job is. Job's own words are an indictment against God. If you look at chapter 34, verse 9, we looked at that. It says, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. In other words, Job is saying, why am I going through this? It's useless. It has no purpose. And be careful when we say that because he's, he's, he's in essence, he's not literally saying this, but in essence, his thought pattern is, God has no purpose in the evil that he's brought into my life. I've been a good person I've lived the way that I should, and now all of a sudden, all of this stuff has happened to me. What in the world is God doing that for? He's even saying God is wrong for bringing evil into my life. He's punishing me, 
And if he's punishing me, or since he's punishing me, he's punishing me for something I have not done. Now, we know the scenario. We can hear the narrator speak in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the meeting that went in heaven. God is not punishing Job. But to think that affliction and hardship comes as a punishment is an error in our thought. We need to change our thinking. Job is almost succumbing to what his friends said. Job, you're being punished for your wrongdoing. And Job says, I have no wrongdoing. Yeah, I am being punished. So God is unjust. Wow. Be careful with that line of argument. He's wrong by saying he has no sin. <laughs> now, sure, he's a righteous individual. His character is great. It's flawless. God commends him on that. But he has sin. And some of his sin is being seen here. Is that sin for which he should be punished for? I won't say no, he shouldn't be punished for. God will deal with sin. But God is gracious, and he's being gracious even to Job. Job simply doesn't understand why all this suffering has come upon him. And he's basically saying, I don't deserve this. If we say I don't deserve this, what are we saying about God who gave it to us? We're saying, God, you're wrong for giving me this. I don't deserve this. That's a, not only a bad argument, a poor argument, I should say, it's a dangerous argument. Because it's an argument that begins to turn and lash out at God. I don't deserve this. Therefore, God, you are unjust in putting me in this position. Now, you would say we don't normally think like that. But, but be careful. When we see other people who have things that we would like to have but don't live as we live, we can easily say, God, I deserve that car. I deserve that house. I deserve that job, but I didn't get it. That other person got it. That ain't right. That ain't fair. God, you're unfair. You're not right. You see how easily that argument goes. And Elihu is um, working that, through that thinking um, with Job. His response to Job is very simple. In chapter 34, verse 10 and verse 12, he simply says, God does no evil. One of the basic teaching of Scripture, God is good. God is good. Unqualified, without limitation, without distinction, God is good. That's why it's been a common phrase we say, all the time, right? It's unqualified. Not sometime or most cases. God, that's just simply his character. God is good. And so Elihu is saying God does no evil. Secondly, in verses, chapter 34, verse 13 through 20, he makes the very clear argument God is sovereign in all that he does. Not only is he good, he has the right and the authority to do all that he does. He hasn't overstepped his authority. He is sovereign in all that he does. He makes the point that he sees 
all of man's way in verse 21 and 22 in chapter 34. 21 and 22. For his eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. That's, that's a quote that's, that's often um, listed in Scripture. We see it in Psalms as well. God sees everything. There's nothing that is a secret to him. And so, um, also he makes the point in chapter 34, verse 23 through 28. God is just and he knows how to punish evil. He is just and he knows how to punish evil. So God, his, his basically, uh, his, his, his uh, response to, to Job is God is good, he's just, and he, he, you cannot make that argument against him. So Elihu is really trying to address Job. Now then we get into chapter 36. Excuse me. Um, well, let, let's get into 36 a little bit. I want you to see a bit of the air in Elihu so that we don't think that that he's all that, right? <laughs> Verses 1 and 2. 1 through 4. Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. Um, right. We need to be careful when we speak on God's behalf, right? We need to be careful about doing that. Um, I would rather let God speak for himself. That's why oftentimes we will simply quote Scripture, right? Because let God give the explanation for it himself. Um, now, we are called to speak on God's behalf. Let, let me not overstate that. Oftentimes, we are called to speak. We're, we're, gone, we're called to, to, to be salt, to be light, to remind people of who God is, to represent God in essence. But we also recognize the awesomeness of that task and the responsibility of that. And we can see as he continues, verse 3, I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker... That's okay. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now I got a little problem with that statement, don't you? <laughs> you want to go, whoa, 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 Elihu. Okay, man. All right. Um, the arrogance of youth has been seen here in Elihu. He has wisdom, but often what can come with wisdom is an arrogance, is a thought that I'm right. I know I'm right. Not only does he say that, say that, I got perfect knowledge. Really? Later on in this passage, he applies that same statement to God as the one who has perfect knowledge. None of us has perfect knowledge. Maybe that's why God chose to, to put these friends before Job, to give him a perspective that he needed to consider because none of us have a full, broad God-like perspective. We need each other. We're like mirrors who help us see things from different perspectives, and we need that full scope to get an accurate picture. And even there, a mirror is a reflection. It doesn't show us exactly. So we can never see truly um, as God sees. So Elihu kind of exposes that arrogance of youth and uh, it's easy to have. If you don't think you have it, um, 
Well, perhaps you have grown wiser over time, but you recognize that it is one of those things that, that comes. You know, it's like as we're younger, um, we don't know enough to know that we don't know. <laughs> Even as we get older, what we should be recognizing is I know more of what I don't know. I understand better that I don't understand. <laughs> and that that's really should come, not just with age, but with wisdom. Elihu, um, he kind of steps in it when he says that, doesn't he? <clears throat> Let's get to some of the important points that Elihu makes that we really need to consider uh, for ourselves. The one has been made before, and that's this. God speaks through affliction. God works through affliction. So when Job is thinking there's no purpose in the stuff I'm going through, he's wrong. God uses those things for his purpose. Now the problem is we don't understand all that God's purpose is. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a great and glorious purpose in what he's doing. He does. So the things that you're going through, the struggles that you're facing right now, God is working in those things. We saw that clearly in last week's passage, last week's message, that God is using even suffering to shape us, to mold us, to prepare us, to work in our hearts, in our understanding, in our attitudes, in our character. He's using all those, and he's using that in Job as well. Let's see uh, where he, he begins to, to point this out. In chapter 36, I think is key in our chapters today, so I'm going to spend my time there. Verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with the kings on the throne, he sets them forever and they are exalted. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions that they are behaving arrogantly. Verse 8 and 9, let me read that again. I want to focus on that. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction. He speaks of affliction, suffering, or hardship as chains or cords. And he says he's dealing with the, the high and the mighty and the low and the humble. God is dealing with every person. He has no respect of persons. He, he doesn't change his, his talk when he speaks to somebody. So God is, is able to stand up against the greatest in our nation. He's able to, to speak down to the lowest of the low. And he says this, if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, he declares to them their work and their transgressions. What he's saying is God uses affliction and suffering in various ways, and one way to use that is to help us to see our transgressions, that they are behaving arrogantly. He wants us to see, he uses, that's not the only thing he uses, but he uses 
uh, our affliction and our suffering to help us to see something, to see our own character, to see our own sinfulness. Verse 11, if they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. So he makes the powerful statement that God is working through affliction. Let's go again to chapter 37 and see this statement being made in another way. Chapter 37, he speaks of God's majesty, and he talks about how God controls the elements, how God brings rain and thunder and lightning and snow and cold and ice and freezing, the weather, how God uses all those things for his own purposes. And he, he, he makes a long argument there, but he's saying a couple things. God is majestic. He is powerful and he's controlling all these things. All these things are under his control. I marvel. I watch the news and, and you watch the weather forecast. And we have yet to be able to control any aspect of the weather. We can use it to our advantage when we have, I saw a house yesterday that has solar panels on it. And what they're trying to do is take the energy from the sun's rays and turn it into something that they can use to, to run their house. Great. You don't control it. You just use what's available. We have wind uh, 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 mills that try to do the same thing with wind. So we try to take advantage of that, but we cannot control it. And when weather comes... We are just caught off guard. There's, there's very little that we can do. Whether it's flooding, we can get flooded in our basement from the storms that we've had recently here, right? Um, we've had cars that's been flooded because of rain that, that were uh, drenched or, 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 or in, in, a, in, a, in a spot that we can't drive them. Snow can shut us down almost instantly. Uh, almost anywhere. Ice can do the same thing. I remember getting stuck in a driveway trying to drive a truck up a, uh, uh, up a driveway and it had what you call black ice. So you can see the pavement. It doesn't look like any ice is there, but the ice that I could not see almost caused me to wreck that truck. Um, and so these elements are, are things that we face all the time. He's saying simply God is in control of these things and he is not subject to them like we are. He's in, in power over them. He's sovereign over them. And he uses them for his purpose and for his glory. So he says in chapter 37, verse 2, keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He's going to compare thunder and lightning to the voice of God. So he wants us to think about these natural elements to, to cause us to reflect on God, okay? Verse 5, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. In other words, he, he uses a few drops of water that accumulate, that freeze, and he can shut us completely down. 
our airports are subject to, to, to the elements, and we can shut down a whole city, whether it's by ice or storm or, or wind or rain or lightning or whatever. Those things can just completely shut us down. It's a picture of the might and the power of God. And so he says this, verse 10, by the breath, oh, excuse me, um, Verse 8, then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. It's not just us, but all of creation are, in essence, affected by what God does and his power. They are subject to his power. So he goes through all that, but then he gets to the point, verse 12, they turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish Here's important, to accomplish all that he commands them. Notice, by his guidance, to accomplish all that he commands. They are accomplishing his purpose as he speaks, as he commands. And here's what he says, on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. We don't always know what the purpose of a hurricane is. But he says it could be for correction. It says, or for his land. I love watching some of our nature shows, and we see these, these uh, wildfires. And they're devastating, but we understand that there's some good that comes out of it. They create a land that's perfect for the cultivation of new crops. And God is bringing things for the good of his land so that people can grow crops and eat. Or for love. <laughs> I'm reminded in, in Jonah, remember Jonah chapter 4, these things, verse 1, it says, these things displeased Jonah. He got mad. He got angry. Um, later on in that chapter, God made a plant grow up and gave shade to Noah, and he liked that, right? Then a worm came, ate the plant, and it wilted, and he had no shade, and he was mad again. He's up and down and up and down and up and down, right? Um, but God brings these things for his own purposes. We don't always know what that purpose is, but God knows what he's doing, and he's in control of that. So he reminds of Job, and he reminds us of that. That God speaks through affliction. And in this chapter 37, affliction is, uh, is, is compared to the elements of the weather. God speaks through those things at, like he speaks through affliction. And he wants us to see that God is in control and he uses them to accomplish his purpose. All right, so that's the one thing, big point that he makes, and that's something important for us to understand Here's a, another important point, I think a bigger point even, that we need to walk away with from this lesson. And it is our anger. I've entitled this message, Are You Angry at God? Are you angry at God? Elihu hints at something that's going on in Job's heart. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 36, remember verse 8 and 9, if they are bound in chains and caught in accords of affliction, and he declares to them their work, that God is using suffering 
for his purpose to help people see their own self and see their own sin or for whatever his purpose is. And then he says, basically he says this to Job, be careful how you respond to the suffering that God has sent your way. Look how he says that in verse 13. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. Notice the word binds, right? We saw that in verse 8. It says, he, if they are bound in chains, back, verse, back to verse 13, they do not cry for help when he binds them. When they are afflicted, when they go through sufferings, when they go through hardships, how do the godless respond? They cherish anger. They get upset. They get mad. Now, they're not the only ones that cherish anger, but what he's showing is this is the trait of those who are not rightly related to God. And so it's a trait that we need to be careful about and stay away from. They cherish anger. Certainly you have seen people whose lives have become characterized by anger. They are bitter they are angry. Why is that so hard to, 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 to deal with? Well, he warns them about their anger. He says, they die in youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He's talking about this is how the godless deal with. They hate God's sovereignty. They acknowledge it. But it stirs up in them anger. And when suffering comes their way, they have this in their heart, anger against God. That's something that he cautions Job about. Let's look further. Verse 18. Beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing. He says, Job, be careful when you make statements like, it does me no good to serve God. I'm just as if I was sinning because of the punishment that he's inflicted on me. He says, be careful, Job. Beware lest wrath, that's anger, entice you into scoffing. And let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. When he speaks of ransom there, he's talking about the price that Job has paid for his suffering. All the suffering that he's gone through, all the hardships, he's lost all of his wealth, he's lost his family, most of his family, he's lost just about everything that he's had. He's paid a great ransom. And he said, be careful with the things that you've gone through and the things that you suffer, that there isn't this leftover residual anger and bitterness that ultimately is toward God. We can lose a loved one and become angry at God. We can lose a job and become angry at, at God. We can lose our health and become angry at God. We can go through suffering and trials and not understand it and become angry at God. And the scripture here is reminding us to beware of that type of anger. 
verse 21, chapter 36, verse 21. Take care, do not turn to iniquity. For this you have chosen rather than affliction. He's again warning Job. Job is angry. And Job is angry with God. He is angry that God has punished him unjustly and he stands on his righteousness. You know something? There is nothing more frustrating than anger that can't be vented. You know what I mean. You probably experience it every day when somebody driving cuts in front of you and you want to just blow that horn just to let them know they did wrong and you don't like it. But they go so fast they don't even see you. They don't even pay attention to you. And you just boil and stew in that anger all the way to work. You're angry. You get to work. You're angry. You could not vent that anger, and you are frustrated. Now, some people think the answer to that is venting our anger. Really? <laughs> Elihu says to Job, who are you going to vent it at? Really? We think if we can properly vent our anger, we would be okay. And we got to deal with our anger. Why are we angry? God said to Jonah, do you do right to be angry? Are you right? In other words, are you justified in your anger? Really? Jonah said, yeah, I'm, I'm justified. I knew this, was you, this is what you were going to do. That's why I want to have nothing to do with it. Now, God let him stew for a little bit. That's when he gave him the tree, a little shade, gave him the worm, cut down the shade, and Job was angry again. Not Job, I'm sorry, Jonah. Jonah was angry again. And uh, God asked him again, verse 4, do you do right to be angry? When we can't vent our anger, we become frustrated. But God is challenging that anger that we have. Why are we so angry? And who is that anger directed to? Ultimately, it's directed to God. The answer for anger, here it is, is repentance. It's to acknowledge that God is God and he does as he pleases and he is good to do as he pleases and you are his servant, and you will walk in his ways. I can become so angry, I don't know what to do with it. Do you? And so you go, right? We jog, we exercise, we go for walks, we hit our pillows, we, we beat punching bags, we do all kinds of things, but the anger is still there, and we need to look at, am I angry at God? Is Job in essence saying, God, I've been your servant all these years. 
I mean, I didn't expect a whole lot, but you took everything I had. Now, Job was right when he started off. He says, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But somehow, he's saying, Lord, I just wanted to have a face-to-face with you so I could work this out. You know, as far as I can see, he never really had that. When God talked, he listened. There was not this conversation going back and forth. God reminded him, we're going to look at the next section. This is a long section. God just reminded him. It's like he said, you know who I am? Do you really? Do you know who I am? And Job was like, whoa, I repent. (laughs) There was no conversation, look at my deeds, examine and find me justified. So really, we deal with our anger by acknowledging God for who he is, and we are simply clay. Remember what Elihu said to Job? He said, I'm just a pinch of the clay like you. I'm just a pinch just like you. And so we are. God determined that I would be at whatever height I am, I kind of determined the weight, but he determined the height. (laughs) He determined the grade of my hair and where it would grow and where it would not grow. He determined the color of my eyes. And I can look and shake my fist at all God did or didn't do that I thought he should or shouldn't do. And guess what? At the end of the day, it changes absolutely nothing because God says, I'm still God. At the end of the day, I'm still God. At the end of your life, I'm still God. At the end of eternity, there is no end to eternity. I'm still God. You better get used to it. <laughs> That's the res- resolution of our, our, of our anger is to acknowledge God and his rightness. And so... He brings forth God's majesty, and God does that in the coming chapters. And I just want to just end here by, by, by saying, have you examined yourself? Have you become bitter? It's, it's such a slippery road to go on, and, and we can say the right things and hide in our heart what's really going on. And God wants to expose that for us. One thing is we have no right to anything. God deals, and thank God, he deals with us according to grace. My life is is patterned by grace. And the future of it is patterned by grace. No matter what I go through, I know I get way more than I ever deserve. And that should keep me from being bitter, from being angry, from being angry at God. We do well to look for those things in our life, help identify them. And maybe you would never know if you were Job that you had this propensity, you had this inside desire to think that God owed you something. When things are going well, it's just, hey, that's cool. I like this. This is good. I'm getting what I deserve. Oh, no, you're not. 
Then when God takes it all away, God, where's that plant in my shade? How come you brought the worm? God says, I made the tree grow. I made it wither. I do it for my purposes. But one is to reveal in you, you're not me. And you serve me. So speak and think in accord with that. And I have been gracious to you. You remember the story of Jonah? What he was angry about is that God decided to forgive a wicked people. In other words, he's angry at God's grace. Wow. We need to recognize that we are the recipients of God's grace, regardless of what suffering and hardships we're going through, and that we should honor God. We're in a good place. <laughs> but we can't become bitter. We can't become angry. We need to, to look very carefully at that. I think that's one of the reasons why God spends so much time calling us to look at him. Stop looking at ourselves, our troubles, our afflictions, our sorrows, even other people. One problem I have with the news, you know, if you sit and you watch the news all the time, you're going to have a poor state of mind. You really are. I know you need to know what's going on, but you need some perspective with that. And that perspective is right here. It's examining with God's people. It's under God's word. It's focusing on God. It's looking at him. If you become bitter in your life, it's because you've lost your focus. You need to refocus on God. You need to reorientate yourself to who God is. You become, begin to worship him. You can't do that without first repenting of a wrong attitude and wrong, wrong thinking. Now think about it this way. If Job has something to repent of, certainly <laughs> it would be asking too much for us to repent, would it? <laughs> if Job's perspective had gotten skewed just a little bit, we need to consider that perhaps ours needs an adjustment, an alignment a realignment. They say before you get tires on your car, you should get your front end aligned or your, your, your wheels aligned so that they're all going in the right direction. And you look at them and say, they look good to me, but they put them on a computer and they line them up and they see and they, they make sure that they're going in the right direction. We need a realignment. Not just new tires. <laughs> we, we need to, to get aligned with God. We need our focus on him. We need to recognize who he is and then submit to that. Father, we thank you for who you are. I'm going to ask the choir if they will come right now and they prepare for a special music and we end our service in prayer and that music. Would you bow your heads with me? in prayer as the choir prepares. Father, you reveal to us our own thinking and our own ways, and we would pray that you would help us to turn our eyes on you, 
and to focus on you, not on ourselves or our suffering, but you are gracious for everything that we face, everything we're going through in our lives. You are gracious to be there with us, and we thank you for that. We thank you now in Jesus' name.